Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. If you feel like you might have tipped the scale a bit during this pandemic, you're not alone. Six out of 10 adults in the U.S. have seen an undesired weight change in the pandemic. That's according to the American Psychological Association. Today, where we live, weight can be a sensitive topic. So how should it be addressed? We want to hear from you. What kinds of conversations should doctors and other healthcare providers have that are helpful and not stigmatizing to patients trying to lose weight? You can join our conversation today, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. You can also share a comment on Facebook or find us on Twitter at Where We Live. First joining me on Zoom is Dr. Lynn Bufka. She's a licensed psychologist and senior director at the American Psychological Association. Lynn, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Lucy. I cited that stat, six out of 10 adults in the U.S. have seen an undesired weight change in the pandemic. That's from your study. Tell us about what you found when you looked at stress in America this last year. Sure. We've been surveying the, the public for over a decade on stress and how they cope with stress. And it's been particularly important over the past 12 months with the pandemic, because this is something that's really been unprecedented. Our most recent survey, we asked people specifically about undesired weight chain, uh, whether it's weight gain or weight loss. We asked them about other behavior changes too in response to the pandemic and, and stress and how they're coping. But we found that um, 42% of our of the people who responded said that they had gained weight and they didn't intend to. And the median weight gain was 15 pounds. So that means you know, somewhere between, you know, that's like half the people are approaching up to 15 pounds of weight gain and over half gained more than 15 pounds. You know, we've all heard that phrase, the quarantine 15. And so what you're telling us is when you looked at this survey, that was something that, that people are experiencing. It's, it's hard to believe in a year, uh, Lynn, when we hear this, uh, these, this amount and these statistics, you know, what are some of the, the factors behind it? You know, I think it's important to recognize how much our lives changed. Um, so in addition to people who, who unintentionally gained weight, there was a 20% unintentionally lost weight too. Uh, and that partly has to do with how everything was disrupted. So it wasn't simply stress, but it was mm -hmm. also our daily routines that we may have naturally had routines that prompted us towards healthy nutrition, good food choices, regular activity. And all of that got sort of thrown out the window when people went to telework and children were learning from home or individuals were doing extra steps in order to protect themselves. So we've seen lots of just changes in our environment that made it hard for us to continue with healthy behaviors. And then for many of us feeling very stressed and overwhelmed by everything that's happening, it can be 
easy to want to have things that feel good. Uh, and for many of us, food feels good. Uh, and it, it's easy to say, I've had a bad day. Let me just have some cookies right now. Um, and over time, that can add up in a way. So we've got both a combination of how the environment has changed as well as the challenges of coping with something that really we have no guideposts for how to cope with a situation like we've been in for the past year. That's a good point about how our environment has changed with uh, remote work, remote school. I was chatting, uh, Lynn, with a producer yesterday, and I realized it was 2.50 p.m., and I had yet to eat my lunch. And <laughs> this is the reality for so many people. You go from one meeting to the next, you're sitting in front of a computer throughout the day, and it has completely changed up our routine when we may have been a lot more active just a year ago. Absolutely. I used to commute to work via public transit. So I walked from my house to the bus, got off the bus, walked to the metro, walked from the metro to my office. I'd even gotten into the practice of getting off a stop early so I could get a longer walk in. Now I commute from upstairs to downstairs. It's a very different level of activity and it requires us paying attention to what feels good and what we need to do at a time when our cognitive resources have been really overloaded with having to pay attention to things like, oh, I'm going out the door, I need to take a mask. Is it okay for me to go to this place where there might be more people than I'm used to interacting with? So we've got a lot already in our brains and to think then about trying to adopt new routines to keep us active and doing the things that help our bodies feel good is really a challenge. When you break it down even further and we talk about uh, whether it's weight gain or weight loss in the pandemic, how did that change when you were talking or hearing from men versus women, from older Americans versus younger, Lynn? Sure. We had a lot. We looked at it across a lot of different groups. So, you know, the average weight gain, and it, which was actually 29 pounds. So the median was 15, but the average was 29, which tells us a significant number of respondents gained a lot more weight than 15 pounds if it pulls the average up to 29. But where we found some interesting differences, older adults um, really, we don't have significant numbers there for them in terms of amount of weight gained or lost. But we find that younger adults definitely reported even more weight gain than their counterparts that men reported higher average weight gain than women. Um, so we saw changes like that over the, over the past year. And essential workers, if they had changes, undesired changes in their weight, they ha typically had an average or an even a median change that was higher or lower than the overall group. So the people who we know have been particularly stressed in this pandemic, uh, younger adults have really struggled in particular ways. Essential workers have had a huge amount of demands on them. Parents of children under the age of 18, they are also the ones reporting, um, more of them are reporting undesired weight changes. And when they report the undesired weight changes, they're reporting bigger numbers in terms of how much their weight has changed. Mm -hmm. uh, more than seven out of 10 essential workers reporting undesired weight change over the last year. As a licensed psychologist, Lynn, this must be very concerning to you. Does it point to also, are we, is there enough resources out there to help people? Well, I think we have to do a couple of things. We, we definitely have to understand that for, for people who've had undesired weight change, 
it's undesired. It wasn't intentional. It wasn't something that they meant to have happen. And it's not simply about willpower. Uh, anytime we talk about willpower, that really doesn't help the conversation around weight. It's really important to think about what's in the environment and how can we help people make their environment more conducive to making the choices that they wanna make for their health, whether it's about eating or consuming substances or sleep, any of the things that we know really are foundation for good health, let's set ourselves up to be more successful and create routines in that way. So that's a, a, a basic step there, but that's not gonna be work for everyone. And for people who want more help, whether it's um, with behavioral help or recognize that stress has really played a significant role here and perhaps has even developed into significant anxiety or depression over the past year, it's really important to get professional help, whether it's to see a psychologist like myself or to find other professionals who can provide um, expert guidance and help in managing not only whatever the concerns are around weight, but also some of the things that contributed to those changes. For instance, feeling completely overwhelmed and without adequate resources to deal with the demands that we're dealing with right now. How can we help people get those resources in their homes, in their lives? And how can we help people learn strategies for adapting and coping to challenges in life? Because we're gonna get through this pandemic, but there's gonna be other challenges that we'll all face in our lives. So it's always valuable to develop the kinds of skills that help us to more flexibly adapt and adjust to the challenges that we face. This is where we live. You're hearing today on Zoom, Dr. Lynn Bufka, a psychologist and senior director at the American Psychological Association, as we talk about a study that her organization did looking at uh, the impact of this pandemic, uh, surveying stress, and also finding some really surprising results related to undesired weight gain or weight loss in this pandemic. Uh, later on, we're going to be talking with a physician as well as a, a health uh, researcher about obesity and how we talk about weight in this country. But we also want to hear from you too. You can join us 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. Holly's calling in from Coventry. Hi, Holly. What do you like to want to share? Hi. Yes. Um, I do. I, I gained a couple of pounds during pandemic. Um, but I really think that doctors need to have a stronger firm conversation with people about losing weight because I think as a whole our nation we're just so unhealthy and I think people are babied too much <laughs> you know oh you gained a couple pounds I mean I don't know I just maybe I'm putting it on myself how I feel but I really think people need to start tiptoeing around the subject and really looking at how we can help people eat healthier, especially people who are on low income and don't have the money to buy healthy food and what we can do as a nation to help people. And I don't know, I'm, I'm on the tough love kick right now. I think, you know, I just joined a personal, hired a personal trainer so I can get back in shape because I'm 59 and I want to live into my eighties and nineties and I don't want to be unhealthy and I don't need someone, you know, saying, Oh, it's okay. You'll do better tomorrow. Well, no, we're going to do better today. So I think the conversation needs to be more direct and more firm. And well, um, I know you're talking about d during the pandemic, people, you know, lost, put on weight. And it's, I know you're not, you're focusing more on that. I guess I'm looking at the whole picture. Mm. No, 
those are those are good points that you raise, Holly. Uh, Lynn, I wanted you to respond to what Holly shared. Uh, again, we all have different uh, perceptions around weight and what strategies work if we want to lose weight, what strategies don't work. I mean, how do we have this conversation where we respect everyone? Sure, I think it's a really important question. And the caller clearly has some resources that perhaps not everyone has because she's able to hire a personal trainer. And that's out of the league for a lot of people. So we really have to talk with people about what their particular goals are, uh, finding that often an emphasis on what's healthy and helping people to think about what do they want to be able to do. The caller wants to live till she's 80. Uh, many people want to be able to play with their children and their grandchildren. And so helping people think about that as the goal versus actual numbers and weight is really helpful. Um, but we have to also think about what are the resources that people have to get there. Many people do not have the capacity to hire a personal trainer. And in some places, even access to safe outdoor places to exercise are limited. So we have to think about options that are going to span across all situations and really tailor it towards what the particular needs of individuals are. But it has to start from a place of really supporting the individuals, not shaming individuals for what's happened and helping find ways to connect to what motivates them to think about their health and their well-being in a way that feels positive and, and energizing for, for making changes. Dr. Lynn Bufka, again, is a licensed psychologist and senior director at the American Psychological Association. We'll share out a link uh, to that uh, survey that the American Psychological Association conducted looking at stress, especially in this year of the pandemic. Dr. Lynn Bufka, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up, we're going to talk more about the conversations healthcare providers have with people about weight. Now, if you've struggled with weight gain or weight loss, what kinds of conversations with your PCP helped or maybe hurt your efforts? We want to hear from you. Join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. We want to hear from you today as we talk about weight. It can be a sensitive topic, but it's one that uh, we all deal with at one point in time in our lives. And we may have had that conversation with the healthcare provider, or maybe we're dreading that conversation the next time we see the doctor. But why is that? We wanted to unpack that a little bit more. Joining us now uh, for the rest of the show on Zoom, Dr. Sherry Pagato, a licensed clinical psychologist. She's a professor in the Department of Allied Health Sciences at UConn. Uh, Dr. Pagato, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Also with me on Zoom is Dr. Lakshmi Niranjan, who's a primary care physician, a specialist in obesity medicine, and she's also assistant professor at UConn. Dr. Niranjan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. 
Our listeners can also join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Um, I wanted to start with you, Dr. Naranjan. When we were talking with uh, the American Psychological Association about this survey on stress, about undesired weight uh, gain in this or loss in this last year, what's your response to some of the findings? Yeah, first I want to say um, I'm not surprised with those findings because we know from as an obesity specialist, I can say stress plays a huge role um, in weight gain. And um, so this pandemic has something, um, you know, we have never seen before. And this, the stress is uh, huge during this time. Like the causes you uh, enlisted, we are more homebound. Our physical activity is uh, decreased and we are around the kitchen table so we are eating more and then the stress level causes the hormones to go you know in the opposite direction so that's why we are seeing the undesired weight gain uh, before the pandemic, for years, we've heard about the obesity epidemic in our country, Dr. Naranjan. And so when we when we think about uh, people who are struggling with weight gain, can you talk a little bit of what, what we see in our country today? Yes, the, uh, the statistics is alarming, uh, the current prevalence for obesity. This I'm quoting from 2017 to 2018 data. And that is 42.4 percentage. And recently, just before the pandemic, uh, December 2019, we uh, we had actually a paper published in New England Journal of Medicine, and they predicted by 2030, 50 percent of America will be on the overweight and obese category. And you can imagine how the pandemic. We are expecting with the pandemic that a number is going to be much sooner than 2030. So we definitely uh, have an epidemic which is colliding with the pandemic. Mm. And when you have conversations with your patients about weight, uh, what are some of the things that you bring up? Is this something that a patient wants to hear from you first or is it something that you bring up because you know that they might be at higher risk for particular diseases? Yes, so it's a both way conversation. It is bi-directional. And as a primary care physician, I have the opportunity to connect with my patients on a longitudinal basis. So it is actually, um, you know, easy for me to start the conversation. But sometimes the conversation comes just like our uh, listener who said she is worried about the two pounds she gained. So sometimes the conversation comes from the patient. So we entertain uh, both the types. And we are trained um, by, uh, you know, like a lot of studies have shown how to actually approach a patient with uh, weight gain and obesity. So we follow the 5A principle. So we have to first ask permission and make sure they are comfortable talking about it. And if they are, then as a medical professional, we assess the problem. Because just, uh, you know, being overweight or being on the obese category when, we, when I use the terminology, we are going by body mass index. So the weight that particular patient has for their height, when that is about the graph, we use the terminology, medical diagnosis of obesity. That alone is um, not enough. We need to know how that has affected the patient. So that's where our medical assessment comes, which means have they developed any of the complications due to the weight, which could be metabolic, 
which could be physical, like joint pains, and it can also be psychological. And we do see a lot of, you know, depression and anxiety because of obesity. And then because of the depression, they increase weight gain is also noted. So again, that's bidirectional. So we assess and then we provide our advice. And then the fourth A is agreement. When the patient agrees, our role is to assist and provide them the assistance how they can actually lose the weight. Mm. And when we talk about assistance, uh, does that, we, we hear the term, right? So you eat less, exercise more, but that's or that's the, the, what we're told, but that doesn't work for everybody. And so I'm wondering when you talk about assistance, what do you mean? Exactly. So that uh, we have to actually forget that uh, phrase, eat less okay. and uh, <laughs> uh, move more. Um, the, and the another important phrase that we have to forget is calories in equals calories out. That equal sign needs, uh, you know, a crossover. It is not as simple as, um, you know, calories in calories out. It is much more complex. So the definition is it's a chronic recurring multifactorial disease. So what are the factors? There are a lot of these environmental factors plays a huge role and a lot of stress plays a huge role and the nutrition and the physical activity. So what I mean by assistance is um, Obesity Medicine Association, they have actually um, guided us with a four pillars approach. So that is how I treat my patients. One is a nutrition pillar, and then second is a physical activity pillar, and third is a behavior pillar. Behavior, that's where the motivational interviewing comes, that's where the, the practical tips come. And then the fourth is pharmacotherapy, where we can actually use medications. We have now FDA approved medications for uh, obesity medicine. We have strict criteria to use, so we follow those criteria and we can use those medications. And the last but not least is the bariatric surgery, which is also indicated for specific criteria. I don't do surgery, but I work closely with the bariatric surgeon. So when the patient uh, fulfills the criteria, and if the patient is agreeable, then I refer to the bariatric surgeons. Mm -hmm. Again, you're hearing Dr. Lakshmi Niranjan, a primary care physician, also assistant professor at UConn, as we talk about weight today here on Where We Live. Lauren's calling in from Danbury. Lauren, go ahead. Hi. Um, so I wanted to um, follow up on the earlier caller's comments about tough love, and I wanted to say that may be useful in some instances, but I don't think it's comprehensive and it can apply to everybody, because she mentioned having just a few pounds of weight gain during the pandemic, but people who have a larger weight problem uh, have some underlying other conditions, as per what the professor was saying, with potentially depression, or there can be people who have metabolism issues. But I think a meaningful way for a to open up the discussion with a patient about their weight is to talk about some of the things that weight gain causes, such as heartburn, indigestion, low energy, sleep problems. And when the doctor is talking about those issues and those issues emerge, talking about strategies to help that person address those, uh, those issues, which are really uncomfortable issues. And so one of those strategies can be a weight management program and some discussion around uh, setting some short-term goals, a few pounds of weight loss will make some meaningful improvement in how you're feeling. And it's very, very necessary to get some muscle on. So, for example, many women who hit menopause have challenges with weight, both because of their metabolism, but also because of their loss of muscle. 
And so uh, talking about those types of things and putting a strategy together, I think it's particularly difficult for doctors to make any meaningful difference when they're running patients through on a 10 or 15 minute appointment. Um, they're really not able to put together a meaningful strategy. So I think it would also be important to try and get people connected with um, um, physicians that specialize in weight control, weight management, weight improvement, um, and really make sure that programs are meaningful programs that uh, help people set, you know, incremental goals that allow them to make some progress. And I think once people start to make some progress, then they start to get the empowerment of being able to make more progress. Well, thank you, Lauren, for calling in today here on Where We Live. You can, too, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. I wanted to hear from Dr. Sherry Pagato again, who's with us, a professor in the Department of Allied Health Sciences at UConn. We spent some time hearing from Dr. Naranjan about how she speaks to patients. We've been getting some interesting calls, uh, how people uh, perceive uh, dealing with weight or what kind of strategies work. So from your research, Dr. Pagato, when we talk about weight, what are some effective ways uh, to have this conversation? Yes. Um, so one thing that I'm really happy is coming up in this conversation today is sort of how multifactorial um, the problem of weight is. Um, there are so many different things that go into your weight um, and effective programs typically uh, and they exist. We have behavioral weight loss programs. And like the caller was saying, um, they do tend to involve um, a lot of visits that aren't necessarily brief. And over a long period of time, six months, even up to a year, meeting with behavioral specialists and nutrition specialists to really deep dive into all of those factors that may be affecting your weight. And like both callers have mentioned, you know, for each person, it could be a little bit different. Um, in terms of talking to patients about their weight, I feel like one of the best places to start is with a very simple question, which is, how are you feeling about your weight? And allowing the patient to take the lead uh, in telling you where they're at. And I'll tell you kind of like a short little story. I worked with a patient um, who had lost 30 pounds in our work together, and she was very, very excited. And she felt like she was ready to go back to the doctor. She hadn't been back to the doctor in a long time. And she went to the doctor and he put her on the scale and he said, you're obese and you need to lose 50 pounds. And that's how the conversation started. And so for her, um, she felt very upset by this. So she came back to me and she was all upset. And I said, what happened? What happened? Um, and it really deflated her, her motivation because she had already lost some weight. She was on a, the right path. And then, you know, her conversation with her doctor just sort of deflated all of that. And a better place to have started would be to kind of let her take the lead, find out what she's been doing. She's been making lots of efforts. So I, I think that's just such an important thing is to kind of, you know, stay away from this conversation about obesity and, and BMI categories necessarily. Find out where the patient is at and whether this is kind of on their plate right now. For some people, it's, they're not ready. It's not something they're dealing with. Other things are going on in their life and other people are really ready. And then the important thing would be to refer them to the resources to work with professionals that would be able to put the time into, you know, lots of visits where you kind of deep dive into all of those factors, psychological, environmental, social, emotional, all of those things to kind of get to the bottom of what, what is making me eat more than I 
than I should? What is making me not be as active as I as I need to be? What's going on for me personally where this is a struggle? And how do I develop healthy habits? Um, what sort of strategies should I be using to do that? Mm. That's a really interesting uh, anecdote that you shared with us, Dr. Pagato. I'm wondering if there are more of those kinds of conversations happening uh, in reality where uh, people are getting that message and they are immediately deflated from the goals that they set forth. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, the big problem with the BMI scale is it sort of makes people feel like, oh, okay, so I'm in this category, obese. And I need to get into this category, the, you know, quote unquote, normal weight. And the first thing I'll tell patients is no, 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 no. Like, that's not the goal. Um, let's forget about that BMI scale. And let's talk about how to get healthier. And so let's talk about physical activity. Let's, let's talk about diet, but let's also talk about stress and sleep and all these things that make diet and physical activity difficult. And let's start with small goals. Like there's, lots of evidence that a weight loss of five to 10% um, has impact on things like blood pressure, on things like your cholesterol, on blood sugars and things like that. And, you know, all of these risk factors for cardiovascular disease and diabetes. So you don't necessarily need to lose 50 pounds to make movement in your health. And so I think it is important to really have that conversation about goals because people come in with really, really lofty goals and it's overwhelming right off the bat. I mean, the thought of losing 50 pounds is scary and overwhelming, I think, for anybody. But what if, what about the thought of losing 15 pounds? And then once we get there, we can sort of figure out where we want to go next. But let's kind of take it in those chunks um, as opposed to, you know, staring at this BMI scale, which is making us feel like we have to lose enormous amounts of weight. And then it just feels overwhelming and you just want to quit because it just where to begin with, with such a big goal. Mm. Dr. Niranjan, I'm wondering if you could respond uh, to what Dr. Pagado has shared with us. Yes. Um, first of all, I absolutely agree with what Dr. Pagado mentioned. BMI alone is not um, an indicator of the whole process. And I also agree with saying that five to 10% weight loss can actually make wonders. And that's what I do in my physician supervised weight loss program. We are not trying to actually promote a particular weight as the ideal body weight for that particular patient. The plans have to be what I wanna say, even to the caller, she was pointing it out is the plans have to be individualized. We need to know where the patient is coming from, what is making them where they are now. And the most important thing is what their goals are. Like if their goal, you know, I have patients who have said all they want is not to use an extensor, extender when they are flying in airplane. That's all they want. Another patient said she doesn't want to be using the railing when she is climbing the stairs. And that is what her goal is. I'm not going to enforce your ideal BMI is this. So we, we keep small goals as the um, you know, short-term goal, and we frequently find out what is actually preventing them reaching the goal. And if they reach the goal, we congratulate and then revisit and ask, what is the new goal now? So when we do a weight management program, it's a teamwork. It is not you know, one man show or one woman show. So it's a physician, it's a behavioral therapist, it's a nutritionist, 
We need, uh, you know, physical therapist because some of these patients cannot even move. I cannot be talking to them about walking three miles a day. So we talk about, you know, doing 10 minutes walk. So we, we need physical therapy because they have knee pain and back pain. So it's a teamwork. And then, of course, the big team is we need from the, um, you know, society because the environment is uh, not friendly. You know, we see childhood obesity because of all the, you know, what we see in the media and the television media and stuff. The advertisements are all tempting. And so we have to, uh, you know, approach this problem from multiple angles. You can join our conversation here on Where We Live as we talk about weight. Uh, my guest here on the show, you just heard Dr. Lakshmi Niranjan, a primary care physician who's an assistant professor at UConn, and Dr. Sherry Pagato is here, a licensed clinical psychologist and a professor in the Department of Allied Health, Science, Health Sciences rather, at UConn. The number to join, 888-720-9677. Michael's calling in from Woodbury. Hi, Michael. Oh, doesn't look like Michael's there, but he did want to share. It looks like that he's someone that um, is a stay-at-home dad, and he feels like it's been harder to manage eating in the pandemic. Uh, and Dr. Sherry Pagato, we heard that shared from our previous guest that uh, there are a lot of instances where our routines have changed, our environment has changed, and it shouldn't be surprising that people are dealing with weight gain or even weight loss. Uh, what would you say to someone like Michael who is still in this type of schedule and might be struggling? What are some effective ways to help him? Yeah, I mean, I think it it brings up such an important point that our environment and routines have so much impact on our diets and our physical activity levels. And so he's at home all day, which means he's really close to the refrigerator. Those of us who've been at home um, or steps away from cabinets and refrigerators. Uh, and that may be something that's very new when you were at work, you may not have had that where um, everything sort of changed in terms of your access to food and your schedule and so on. And so when you're thinking about losing weight, I think it, a lot of times people are told like, oh, you should try this diet. And, and, and then they go out and they buy all the foods, so, you know, for that diet, I'm going to go low carb, I'm going to go low fat or, or whatever it is, intermittent fasting. Um, and what they're sort of missing it are these environmental factors that affect how much you're eating. And so no matter what diet you're on, they're going to disrupt your ability to follow that diet. And so I, I so much want the narrative around weight loss and diet to kind of be focused more on behavior and environment as opposed to, oh, what specifically should I be eating? I mean, they're, they're both important. They're all important, but it, it seems like the, the narrative is, is from the fad diet industry is all like, oh, what specifically, like what macronutrients should I be eating and that sort of thing. Um, so in, in the case of the caller, I would say, um, whenever your environment changes, whether it's due to a job or, you know, maybe you had a baby or you moved, um, to really sort of think about like, what does healthy lifestyle look under these new circumstances? And so um, journaling a little bit about what are the what are the traps that I'm getting caught in in this environment? So is it the case that, oh, I'm like wandering over to the cabinet a couple times a day to grab cookies? Okay, that's a problem. And so now I didn't need to think about what can I do about that? 
maybe I don't buy those cookies anymore. Or, you know, maybe I take a walk when I feel like I need a break. So really trying to understand what your patterns are within that environment that are sort of leading you astray and trying to kind of disrupt those patterns and habits um, to create healthier ones and avoid those traps. And for each person, it, it, it's going to be a little bit different. Dr. Niranjan, we got an interesting uh, comment uh, from someone who who wrote that fat phobia is a phenomenon that stigmatizes weight gain. Not all weight is, unnecess- or is necessarily unhealthy. So how can doctors and individuals separate out unhealthy weight gain from fat phobia? Excellent question. Uh, so weight stigma is a big area. Weight bias and weight stigma is a big area that we have to, you know, look at it deeply from both from a provider angle as well as from the patient angle. First of all, I want to say that we should not be labeling somebody immediately as unhealthy just because they are in the scale, you know, whatever we use as a weight category, which could be BMI, which could be weight, whatever we use. Because we have to look at it, how that has affected that patient. Like I mentioned before, the complications of weight could be psychological, could be metabolic, could be physical, which could be like joint pain or acid reflux. But then we also have a group of people, they do not have any of these things. So for them, that weight is okay. So I think that is very important. So that's where I feel a physician will come in place and say, this weight is not causing any problems to you. And this may not cause, but if you gain more, it may cause. So let us try to be healthy. So that is where I think from a physician, I'll be able to help them understand whatever is the right weight for them. And in that, we also have to know it changes um, in different uh, you know, races. Because, for example, South Asians, we have much uh, you know, tighter criteria for uh, BMI because we see more metabolic complications and much lower BMI in South Asians. But we do not see that in the other races. So, again, it's different for every single patient. So my best um, suggestion would be more for the providers to be very, very cautious in using this terminology. Just like um, uh, Dr. Pagardo mentioned, we do not want to be uh, blaming and shaming uh, patients saying, oh, your BMI, your weight is in this. We need to look at the whole history where the patient is coming from and be sensitive to them. And then for the patients, I do want them to understand we have enough support here. So we have, uh, you know, from the Obesity Medicine Association, from Psychology Association, we have enough support to provide uh, to, you know, help them deal with what they are going through. Before we head to break, Dr. Pagato, I wanted to go back to you because I keep thinking back to the story that you shared about one of your patients. And despite losing a lot of weight, uh, the first thing her doctor said was, you're obese and continued to um, encourage or rather say, you need to lose a lot more weight. And so I'm wondering, you know, is there a shift happening in uh, within uh, the field where you have doctors that are realizing that sometimes this is stigmatizing and doesn't help uh, the conversation? I, I think that my experience has been that um, physicians are becoming um, 
a lot more aware of how to treat obesity and how to avoid stigma. If you have a physician that you feel like is not meeting your needs when it comes to that, I would encourage you to find one that does because there's so many. Obesity medicine is becoming a specialty, um, which is um, fantastic. And there are all kinds of um, trainings now and education in medical um, schools, which is very encouraging. And, and so I, I feel like if you're, if you're having, whether it's a physician or it could be a psychologist or dietitian, any sort of health professional isn't making you feel comfortable or you're feeling judged um, to find somebody who might have better training in a, in a better way of um, treating the issue. And there are a lot out there, so I would say don't be discouraged. We're going to continue talking right after the break. You can join us too. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathancho. We're talking about the conversations healthcare providers have with people about weight. Uh, with me on Zoom, Dr. Sherry Pagato, licensed clinical psychologist and a professor of the Allied Health Sciences at UConn. Also with us, Dr. Lakshmi Niranjan, assistant professor at UConn and also an obesity medicine specialist. I got a comment, uh, Dr. Niranjan, uh, from someone on Twitter uh, who writes, uh, thinking of capitalism, massive advertising for unhealthy foods, lobbying for huge government subsidies so we end up with corn syrup, overworked, many living paycheck to paycheck, food deserts. He really encompassed all of the factors that lead us to deal with weight gain. Yes, um, so that's an important topic we have to address because when you look at the graph, when we actually started to see this obesity epidemic, you know, the graph is climbing, especially in United States. We know when the um, industrialization of these, uh, you know, food by the food industry took a major, uh, major, you know, it causes the major um, uh, cause for this problem because uh, the, the unhealthy foods are cheaper and people with a low income can actually access to, you know, those fast foods easier. And then we talk about food desserts, you know, within Hartford, we have places where there is a no you know, a good grocery store in North End of Hartford, we do not have a good grocery store which can actually provide healthy foods. And within any grocery store, whether it is in, um, you know, uh, in North End of Hartford or anywhere in Connecticut, you can see the attractive, unhealthy products are, you know, accumulated in the middle eye. And so when I educate my patients, I tell them, try to shop around in the periphery first. You know, this is like a practical tip where there are more uh, fresh vegetables and fruits, but unfortunately they are more expensive, you know, and that is where the problem is. So when I said the society and environment, that is where we need a change. Dr. Pagato, before we run out of time, I didn't want to lose 
the time where we are not going to focus on what's happening with children in our country, especially so many of them also having to shelter in place for so many months, doing virtual school, wondering about kids who, when they go to school, we know they're getting a, a full meal, but when they're at home, that may not be the case. And what childhood obesity looks like right now in our country. Can you talk about um, how we have this conversation when we're talking about young people? Yeah, um, with young people, and I have a 13-year-old daughter myself, and so as a mom, this is something that I think about a lot. Um, with young people, it's tricky because they do spend a lot of time on social media. They're looking at, you know, media images of, you know, body ideals. Um, so there's a lot of body image issues that get wrapped up into weight. And during the pandemic, they've haven't had access to their sports, many of them. Um, they've been spending more time at home, more sedentary. There's some studies coming out that um, young people are, are more sedentary, less active um, during the pandemic. And they're experiencing the same thing adults are in terms of you know eating more and that sort of thing. And so uh, I, I do think one thing we'll have to think about with this younger generation is um, to the extent you know, there's been weight gain or any sort of unhealthy habits or more sedentary lifestyles developed during the pandemic that we do put some effort into trying to reverse that um, as they're going back to school and getting back into their activities um, so that they can get on a better trajectory. Um, but having the conversation with children, I think we have to be really delicate and, and focus on health as opposed to weight um, and be very mindful around body image issues. Yeah, that's important because when we think about stigma and how children get messages, maybe we're not, we don't think we're sending a certain message, but you know, it can be detrimental to them and, and lead them on a path uh, of always feeling like they're not doing the right thing. Dr. Niranjan, did you want to add to that? Yes, uh, the, um, uh, you know, important thing is childhood obesity is also going, um, you know, higher and higher in our country. And what we know is those people, um, when they become adults, they tend to have more metabolic complications. So it is very important to address it. Um, and what we um, usually do, what our guidelines say is we have to um, emphasize more on the healthy eating and physical activity rather than restriction, because we do not want to create this body image issue in the young adults and teen mind, because that's what the problem is would be when later on they develop, you know, psychological complications. So for the matter of fact, I actually had a community outreach program yesterday I spoke to Urban League Foundation. We had like young scholars. We uh, the conversation was with, you know, high school kids. How they cope up with stress during the pandemic and how they can be healthy. So it was health and wellness even. Again, it was on Zoom, but it was very interactive. You know what they have as questions. You and I may not even think about it. So it's very important to reach out to them and provide the environment that is more nurturing for them. So we insist physical activity like 60 minutes every single day for them. If they cannot do it at a stretch, it's okay. They can do like 15 minutes and then they can do another 15 minutes later. So that's what we emphasize more for, um, you know, teens and young adults. 
Well, this has been a really interesting conversation. I feel like we'll need to revisit this again, but I do want to thank Dr. Lakshmi Naranjan, again, a primary care physician and assistant professor at UConn. We thank you for your time. Thank also, you. Dr. Sherry Pagato, also here with us on Zoom, a licensed clinical psychologist and a professor of the Allied Health Sciences at UConn. Dr. Pagato, it's always a pleasure to hear from you. Thank you so much. Today's show produced by Tess Terrible. Our technical producer is Kat Pastor. Carmen Baskoff is on the phones today. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We'll be back tomorrow. <laughs>